there was a truck driver up in uh, Nebraska. He pulled over at a truck stop, as they often do, and uh, he ordered his uh, meal. And shortly thereafter, some bikers came in. We're talking about the big bikers, the bikers that were the Hell's Angels type. And uh, these bikers uh, caused a little trouble with him, a little bit of conflict. They gave him some verbal abuse. He kept quiet. And then one of the bikers took a hamburger that he was eating, took it right out of his hand, and he started eating it. And then the next biker picked up some of his french fries out of his plate and started eating them. And the other biker took his cup of coffee that he had. Now, a cup of coffee to a trucker, we know, is very, it's a big thing. And he sat there for a moment, didn't do what you'd expect him to do as a human being. <laughs> he just got up quietly, gently, and walked to the cash register and put his money there and walked out very gently. And the waitress was following him as she went to, to get the money there at the, uh, the cash register. And uh, she was looking out the window. And then one of the bikers came up to her and said, you know, he's not much of a man. And she said, well, I don't know about that. But I do know that he's not much of a driver. He just ran over three motorcycles. (laughs) Those bikers reaped what they sowed. God has established natural principles in this world, this universe, that are unbending. They don't change unless He supernaturally intervenes. Certain things happen with consistency. Isaac Newton observed an apple falling from a tree. You remember that? And it struck him that an apple would actually always fall down and never fall upwards. And, of course, he came up with a scientific law, and it was always being pulled downward. And he came up with what we know as the law of gravity. And so, due to these gravitational pulls, what goes up must come down. That's a law. That's a law. God, God has made it that way. Spacecrafts, you know, they, they circle uh, the, the earth, and they have great power to kind of break that law of gravity. But we we know that satellites, you know, orbiting the Earth, eventually they're going to be pulled out of their orbit and they're going to burn up while they're coming down and re-entry, right? And that's that's just a law. Uh, God has written natural laws. There's a law of thermodynamics. You guys know about thermodynamics and we can identify with that. But uh, it's really everything is burning up or deteriorating, tearing down. You know, it's not getting better. It's, it, it gets worse. It just tears down. It breaks up. That's called the second law of thermodynamics. It's a law of science. It, it always happens. Now, that's, that's true science there. Uh, and God established that. Everything that we have that is true science, God uh, has already made. He doesn't discover it. and We just discover what He's already done. But everything is falling apart. And, of course, we can identify with that, the, the, you know, the law of decay. And I think everybody here knows that we're all aging. 
And most of us aren't what we used to be. That's, that's the proof of the law of thermodynamics. All you have to do is look at me, right? As, as it just wears down. But not only our bodies, but our clothes, they, they wear out. Now, usually in the times that we're in, that isn't always the case. They wind up in the closet or they go to some store and somebody buys it for 50 cents or something, you know, or rummage sale. But houses, they deteriorate, you know. Stay with that. You know, everything in the universe deteriorates. Everything. Everything is winding down. That's a law God set forth. There's a law of nature. Now, with that thought, there also is the law that is moral and spiritual laws. Moral and spiritual laws. It can bring destruction if we sow in our life seeds that are uh, ignoring God's counsel. Now, we know in, in agriculture... You think of, of farming and such, and of course it's a, it's a great picture here that, that we have. Uh, you have 40 acres of, of, of corn. You know, this is about sowing and reaping is, is what we're talking about. You have 40 acres of corn. You're not going to reap 40 acres of watermelons. What are you going to reap? The corn that you sow. You know, it would be impossible to have watermelons out there if you didn't sow watermelons, right? That, that's a law, you know, in a physical sense. How many times do you suppose a farmer would go out in the fall when it's harvest time? He says, huh, I wonder what we're going to harvest this year. wonder what it's going to be. <laughs> Does he go out in the field and say, hey, well, look at there. It's corn. <laughs> How did that happen? He just expected, right? Who would have guessed it? What a person sows, he reaps. And that's really simple, isn't it? I mean, this illustration that Paul uses here, we understand that with crops, we understand it with trees, and then we look at it spiritually and how hard it is to understand in the spiritual life. You ever thought of that? Sometimes it's hard to understand what we reap, we will sow. How many people will say, well, I don't understand why things are happening to me like this? In my family, in my marriage, in my finances, in everything that I'm around, you know, and it seems like everything is falling. Well, it may not be necessarily sin or your fault, but it could be the fact of what we have reaped. And now we're sowing. Why does it surprise some people They uh, what they're reaping? Why, why does it do that? And uh, sometimes people get angry with God because they sowed something that they shouldn't have been sowing. Uh, just like it's God's fault. So in every dimension, not only in the physical dimension, but the moral and the spiritual dimension, there's this principle. It's a known law of botany. A seed will reproduce its own kind. It's not going to reproduce some other kind of thing, but it's going to reproduce what it is. God has set that forth. You can see that in Genesis, right? Right there in creation. And Paul is presenting now this law here that they should identify with in a spiritual sense. So um, if, if we are living in a, a carnal sense, a fleshly sense, a self-effort type way, we're actually sowing to the flesh, as we'll see as Paul mentions. And when we sow to the flesh, it will reap corruption. 
That's just that that law. So this is a warning that uh, Paul gives here in uh, chapter six. So let's let's go to the warning. And he he says first of all in verse seven, do not be deceived. Um, there you have what a wolf in sheep's clothing. You first look at it, you know, you start looking at it a second or third time. You guys seen that picture before? <laughs> Don't be deceived. You know what that really is? That's a wolf. That's not a sheep at all. But what's it look like? You know, it can, it can deceive you. What's the word deceived mean? It means to be led astray. To be led astray. Planao is the word. To be led astray. Don't continue. It, that's the tense of it. Don't continue to be led astray. Well, what does that imply? They've already been deceived in Galatia there. And I think that we too, as Christians, can be deceived. Uh, there were people leading them astray into a kind of life that is legalistic. That's a, it's a life that was self-effort to, to gain God's favor. Don't be deceived. Don't continue to be deceived or be led astray. Don't persist down that path that you're walking down, but return to the truth. Now, in Galatians 3.1, Paul got rather dramatic and rather forceful in his words. He said in verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Who's bewitched you? Who has deceived you? These Judaizers that had come in, right? And of course, that's one of the reasons why this letter is written. Um, We look in 2 Timothy 3.13. All of this is dealing with a warning, isn't it? 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and impostors Remember that picture of the wolf, the sheep clothing? Will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, politicians, they've said this, you tell a lie long enough and loud enough, people will believe it. It can be one of the biggest lies it can be. You know, the uh, evolution, evolution idea, that has been so taught so much and spoken so much that people believe it. And it's the most ridiculous thing that we come from nothing. I mean, how can you even rationalize that just in your mind? How can something come from nothing? That's not scientific. Science says something always has to come from something. People have been deceived, haven't they? So we can be deceived by others. Other teachers, just other people in general, the world itself. Uh, in Revelation twelve nine, Revelation nine, <laughs> 12, I was going to say nineteen, but twelve nine came out kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, Boston. People from Boston can deceive you. Okay. Yeah, we won't get into that gate thing. <laughs> Okay, this is. And the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The deceiver. The serpent. He's called the deceiver. 
So we can be deceived by people. We can be deceived by Satan. Definitely him. He's called the father of lies, isn't he? He is the liar. Of course, he lied to Eve. Right? What a deception there. What a character it is from him. You know, uh, the root of all that is it's from the pit of hell altogether. And so also, we can deceive ourselves. That's what's really bad. In Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's deceitful. Your mind can deceive you. Obadiah 3 and 4, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The pride of our heart. So there's the warning. And Paul puts that forth here in Galatians 6. Verse 7, be not deceived. Now he gives a fact. He gives a warning, then he gives a fact. And we're still in in the verse 6. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. That is a fact. And um, I think we have a picture of this one where it defines the word here and the word uh, is mukterizo. Mukterizo. It means to turn up one's nose. Or to thumb your nose at. We've all seen that, right? People do that. That is what this means. To thumb your nose at God. To sneer at God. It also means to ignore God. So, you know, you think of uh, a sneering, uh, that's rather, what, kind of violent, right? I mean, that picture of that guy is rather rather violent looking. I mean, it's not pretty looking, right? Uh, but it also means just ignore also, to ignore. But it's the same. To God, you're mocking Him whenever we ignore what He's saying. Uh, I know I shouldn't do this sin. I know it's a sin. I shouldn't do it but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, that is mocking God. Yeah, He'll forgive me later. It's to turn up one's nose. And back at that time, in the biblical time, it was to turn up one's nose as to shame them when you do that. It was to treat them as somebody weak. It was to treat them as someone beneath your own dignity. It was to treat them as unworthy of your respect. Yeah, it was like that. There's no respect, right? That's what's happening here. Now, consider this. Consider that mocking or despising God, actually, isn't it? Whenever we sin or do something, I think this is a rather scathing indictment when it says God is not mocked. You can thumb your nose at Him all you want. You can... You can just overlook it, ignore it all you want. You can be indifferent, but the thing is, that's mocking God. But boy, that's rather uh, a flagrant mocking, isn't it? Do you, uh, you remember in Daniel, there was a king, Belshazzar. Might as well turn there to the book of Daniel, the prophet. And in chapter 5... 
Verse 1, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And they, then it says, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God. You notice this has been repeated again. This is the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. Right? This is, this is God's. This is God's. He owns it. And the king and his nobles and his wives and concubines drank from them. So he says it twice there. When he's saying it a second time, he says, I want you to get this. Here's what they did. Can you believe the audacity that they took the very vessels of God and actually drank from them? It says, verse 4, they drank the wine, it says it again, and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All the idolatry. And here's verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then his face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. And I'll tell you what, I think it is time to do some surgery. Shoulder surgery, knee surgery, ankle surgery, all over the place in this guy. He's not going to have time. He's going to be wiped out. This is his feast that he was taking so much pride in and he was thumbing his nose at God. Making fun of God. It's bad enough for the Babylonians to steal that, but then to do what Belshazzar did, and uh, his day is uh, is ready to end very quickly. Sneer to God, didn't he? Those people will not escape. Look in Second Peter chapter three. Verse three and four. Know this, first of all, remember this? that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. It's just the same as it's always been. Nothing like that's going to happen. God is not going to come back. He's not going to come back to judge the world. It hasn't happened before. Why would it happen now? That's mocking. They are not going to get away with that. Not the time. It may seem like that. It's just like the atheist says, I don't believe in God. And he's not struck dead. Right there on the spot. It could be. God could do that. But no, they usually live their life on out. And usually by the end, they pretty well show it. Almost all great men, I put quotes, as far as the world is concerned, Authors, for instance, are considered to be just the intellectual, the greatest. You think of some of those authors, how people just lift them up. Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway. Anybody ever heard of him? He was a mocker. Oh, sad for this man. He constantly mocked God. He always did. He said things like this. The old Victorian idea of the Bible that the wages of sin is death and what you sow, you shall reap. Just what we're studying here. You know what he said about that? It's all been proven to be a lie. 
All that stuff you heard about, it's all a lie. Ernest Hemingway. He considered the ideas of the Bible to be antiquated, old-fashioned, things that have just been outdated. The Bible has just been passed by. So he mocked God. His lifestyle mocked God. And if you don't have a God, you can be as immoral as you want. And if, if you feel immoral about it, then that's it. <clears throat> then it's either moral to you or immoral. That was back then. That's you know There are no absolutes, right? That's really what he was saying. So if it doesn't feel immoral to you, no matter how bad it is, it's okay. And that's the way he lived it out. He mocked the Lord's Prayer when he wrote this. And he uses a, a, a Spanish word for this. Our nada, who are in nada, nada be thy name. You know what nada means in Spanish? Nothing. Our nothing, who is in nothing, nothing be thy name. This man just mocked God all over the place, and yet the world holds him up in high esteem. Just the other day on TV, somebody was mentioning Ernest Hemingway and his writings and how great of a man that was. And I see this right here. That is not success. That's right. That is a pity. And God says, I will not be mocked. What happened to this man? The end of his life, I think, proved the folly of mocking God. And he got even more of a judgment after this life. But he had a debauched kind of life. And to led him to such a despair. Complete despair. Hopelessness. And he put a bullet in his head. This is the man who was mocking God. There's nothing about that man that impresses me at all. There were other famous writers who thumbed their noses at God. They mocked Him. Sinclair Lewis, you ever heard of him? Not C.S. Lewis, Sinclair Lewis. Oscar Wilde, you ever heard of them? Lewis, Sinclair Lewis, died a pathetic death. And he was an alcoholic, and it just got just embarrassing. And he wound up dying at a third-rate clinic in the back alleys in Italy. This is the famous Sinclair Lewis. Died with nothing. Oscar Wilde ended up imprisoned as a homosexual. Shame and disgrace was on him as he was in prison. Near the end of his life, he wrote this. I forgot somewhere along the line that what you are in secret you will someday cry aloud from the housetop. Wow. What you are in secret will one day be revealed. It will be shouted out. And that's some of our famous men. There actually is a book out about some of the great famous men of the world. Whether they be politicians, writers, you name it. And in the end, it's not pretty. They usually see quite the judgment at the end. That's right. But if they're not, if people don't see it visibly, oh, what happens to them after this? To mock God and to do it in such a way as that, God will take care of that. There are people today just gleefully violating God's laws just all over the place, right? 
You know those people that are committing abortion, murder? You know those people are doing that? If they're not converted, they will be taken as mockers and God will judge them severely. They're mocking God. They think they're getting away with it. It looks like it. All those babies that have been aborted. But I'll tell you what, God will take care of that. Homosexuality? People are mocking God, folks. They are thumbing their noses at God. I don't care what His Word says. And what is sad now, there are Christian... And I, I really put quotes on this because I can't even I don't identify with them at all. But there are people that are Christian, Christian churches that are homosexual, and you're hearing more and more of it now. And matter of fact, they don't. You're finding more and more Christians are saying, "Well, I I don't live that lifestyle, but it's okay for them to do that if that's what they want to do." Christians, is that a Christian? I I I'm all of a sudden I'm questioning them. Do you believe in God's word? Same-sex marriage. They're thumbing their nose at God's institution of marriage and the sacred institution of that it is. They're mockers. Terrible mockers. They're going to get a terrible judgment. Well, this is about a warning. <laughs> That's what Paul's doing. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And he says, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. These are dealing with consequences. The law is a spiritual law. And when a man has sin in his life, there are sorrows. He reaps the consequences of sin. There's a warning going out, right? The consequences are ahead. Maybe soon. Probably will be later on down the road. Right? That's a spiritual law. And everybody's heard that, and even that author that I just quoted from earlier, uh, he knew it. Whatever a man sows, this he'll also reap. That's more or less the title that we're giving today. I mean, this is simple, isn't it? It's a simple message. It's not deep, but it is profound in God's Word to see how this principle works. It's a spiritual law. Look in Job 4.8, and, and you see this all over Scripture. And unbelievers... They've heard this. They've heard it many times. You're going to reap what you sow. I don't know if they know where it came from. I would, I would think most of them would. Maybe not. In Job 4, verse 8, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who trouble harvest it. Those who sow trouble, harvest it. There you have the plowing and, and the sowing, right? Mm-hmm. Putting the seed in. Those who sow trouble, harvest it. That's what they're going to get. That's the principle right there, isn't it? The harvest of multiplication. Multiplication. Uh, yeah, when you put it in, you're going to get more out of that. And so it is spiritually. I mean, that's a great illustration, isn't it? Uh, let's look in Proverbs 22.8. Right after Psalms, Proverbs. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, emptiness, and the rod of his fury will perish. There again, same thing. Let's go to the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, This is just all over the place in the Bible. 
don't have time to go through them, but we're just hitting on different spots in, in the Scripture to kind of give a, a glance at this rule, this law. 12.13 They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have strained themselves to no profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. How about Hosea chapter 8, verse 7? Are you there? I just got there. You've heard this one. For they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It yields no grain. Should it yield, strangers would swallow it up. They sow the wind. They reap the whirlwind. How many times have we heard that one, right? There's where it's at. We'd go on and on, couldn't we? These, they violate God's standards. As a matter of fact, Christians violate God's standards. God does scourge His own. And I'm thankful for that. He chastises us. He disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12. But it's for our good. It's for our good. I mean, if we're walking out of line, He wants to train us back into that line. It's a good thing. We don't want to go far out there, do we? And keep reaping things. He's certainly not going to scourge us if we are... um, not doing uh, sin. I mean, in, in a scourging sense. I mean, he's always teaching us. But there are cause and effects here that, that he's talking about. And even in the Christian life, it happens. And uh, it's the ultimate sense of the law. And we know we looked at it at the cross. And we know that that's where everything was, was done. And um, that ultimate sense, the sin has been taken care of. And we always have to remind ourselves of that. Now, we'll go to number two. And this is where the principle is explained by Paul. And he uh, elaborates on this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, if you look at your picture there, you have two fields. And that's really what we're dealing with. You'll notice on... Uh, what would be the right-hand side would be a field that has weeds in it. And uh, on the other one, you have something that is ready to go where you can plant. I wouldn't want to be sowing seed in in that one field. It's really going to be kind of worthless. You're not going to get much out of that. But over in the other one, it's it's ready. There are two fields that we are to be planning in, to be putting this the seed in. You see how agricultural this is? And that was an agrarian society. But every one of us can identify with this. The one soil is like that of the flesh. That's, that's the weedy stuff over there. That's the flesh. And if we uh, sow to the flesh, then we'll reap from the flesh. And then, of course, if we sow to the Spirit, then we know that we will get uh, a bounding harvest. Flesh. The harvest depends on the seed quality. Depends on that ground, doesn't it? It's and also it depends on the quantity, how much you put out there. If you don't put very much, you're not going to get very much. Even though it does multiply, you want to put out what what needs to be put out. So 
quite a metaphor here of this, these two soils. And so Paul just keeps hammering on something that, that they know, and, and now he explains this. The, the flesh is the self-centeredness of us. We, we all operate in the flesh sometimes. We've already seen that in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Self-centered, fallen human nature. That's what we battle with every day, every moment. We probably even battled it today. You know, the old flesh, right? I don't want to sow to the flesh. It's an act of actually choosing to satisfy, to gratify the very cravings of sin. Really, when, when we have sin. You do whatever your fleshly, fleshly gratification is. Unless you can say, wait a minute, I have renewed my mind and now I choose not to do that sin because my mind is thinking on the things of God. Renewing the mind, right? Put that seed in the field of the Spirit. That you put it in the field of the flesh and it's going to get its consequences, right? The results of that. John Stott says, I quote here, Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing to the flesh. So, the attitudes, the words, the actions, those thoughts, if it is not something that glorifies God, guess what? It's sowing to the flesh and the consequences will come. If you see a Christian with sin in his life, where's he been sowing? The field of flesh. In the case of the believer, corruption results in that sense. We're not talking about death there, but uh, definitely to an unbeliever, it is death if he continues on in that, if he does not trust in the Lord. Um, Galatians 5.21 Envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, things like these, any of these things, which I forewarn you, just I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, you're a believer. Don't be acting like the, the unbeliever. Don't do those things anymore. Right? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Death. And that gets us into our next word. Corruption. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The word there is phthora, and it means to degenerate. It means to decay. And let's just amplify this one more. It really means all the way to the point of death. That's how far it goes. Our decaying society, right? It's decaying, isn't it? It really needs to hear this, doesn't it? It needs to hear this message that God gives right here in His Word. They need to know this. That you keep doing what you're doing, world, it's going to bring death. 
God is going to judge this world. He's going to judge this city. He's going to judge this state. He's going to judge this nation. He's going to judge the world. All because of this. It's decaying. And so we, we looked at that one field that, that was full of weeds. Uh, or, uh, let's say you already planted and then you, you come back after you haven't even done anything with it and got all that. It's, it's the image of a spoiled, rotten field at harvest time with not the harvest that you're expecting. Instead of being that fruitful field, it's going to be the, the field of, of the flesh. Thorns and thistles it will be. Wow. Corruption. Boy, the world really needs to know this. So now we go to the other field right at the end of verse 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now we've been dealing with the Holy Spirit week after week after week. And we can't let up, can we? Because we have to realize where the power is and only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we keep from sowing to the flesh. And we want to sow to the Spirit and Him controlling us gives us different desires. We're dealing with personal holiness now. And we've already seen that in Galatians 5 and here we are in chapter 6. We are to crucify sin and not cuddle it. We, we, don't, we don't play with it. We don't want to just pet it and then all of a sudden it turns into our sin, right? And you know what? The more that we know of Christ and the more that we have been renewing our minds, the more that we've been concentrating that, the more we know of the tension between the two fields that we sow in. The more alert you have become to Christ, the more aware you are in this battle. The more aware that you are a farmer out there and you are sowing seeds. Not just for evangelism, but it's it's representing our lives, isn't it? And we want to reap this harvest of an abundant eternal life. And so he says this, you will reap eternal life if you're a Christian, that, that's that's it. You you already have eternal life. Right now, you have eternal life. Right? It's not going to be something in the dear, near distant future, although it will be much better than this, as the song that we sang earlier. It'll be much better. But even right now, it's really something what God has given us. We have eternal life, and uh, it's an abundant life. You wouldn't trade it for anything, would you? Yeah, it has its struggles. We can't deny that. But at the same time, this is a a life that I think is is quite the harvest. And it's pointing to to the the eternal life at at the the end where we go on. But the word really there is going to concentrate on the quality of life. It's not the bios, but it's zoe. It's dealing with a life that is a life of quality. Not so much quantity. When you think of eternal life, you keep thinking, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. Uh, it's much more than that. It's talking about the quality of life. We, we even have that right now. You know, we, we, uh, we are blessed and, and such. But, um, and as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that, that is a part of this, isn't it? That's part of eternal life. That is life, isn't it? Everything comes from life. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, there's the life that He's given us, right? 
that we have now. And the Spirit of God wants to produce luscious fruit for God's glory. Abundant fruit out of our lives, right? What does it mean? Well, what is this um, eternal life? Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, having the fruit of the Spirit. Have you noticed that? That is eternal life. Dominated by the Spirit of God in every avenue of our lives. This eternal life. And it's being represented by uh, the quality of life that we have right now to enjoy forever. It's a kind of life. When you sow to the Spirit, you reap another quality of life. So a Christian really sows to the Spirit. And when he is sowing the Spirit, he actually gets to experience this love, this joy, this peace, this patience. The quality features of his earthly life right now. Look at Ephesians 1. Love that chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's right now. We are seated in the heavenly places where Christ is. Now, that's spiritually. Physically, we, we, don't ex- we don't see that, but that's where we have been placed. That's our position, isn't it? Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. So it's right now and then ultimately to the glory that is coming. That's an upbeat, positive thing, isn't it? I pray this prayer, right? Do you ever prayed it for others? I bet you have. That people would be enlightened so that they know the hope of His calling. What this calling is all about. This is a calling that we're looking at this morning. And we can see the hope in it. Do you see the hope? If you were an unbeliever and you continued to refuse the Gospel, I would see no hope. No hope in this. He's talking about the riches of the glory. The riches of the glory. The surpassing riches. The greatness of His power. And it's according to His strength. Man. How about John 10.10? Jesus. Talking about the sheep. He's the shepherd. John 10.10. Everybody knows this. The thief comes only to steal. Remember that little picture we had of the, uh, the, the wolf in sheep's clothing? Steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Actually, there are a lot of churches with that name. Abundant Life Church. It comes from that right there. Abundant. Sometimes I'm not so sure if they know what that means. (laughs) Sometimes I'm not so sure we know what it means, right? But... Really, I mean, it's right now. It's having that joy. Even despite the circumstances are all surrounding. We live by faith and not by sight. 
Sometimes you experience those, sometimes you don't. The thing is, we have a peace even during those times that are trying. And those are even good. Live by faith, not by sight. (laughs) But really, this is all abundant, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how the blessings that we really do have? Here we are sitting here this morning and thinking, boy, how great it is is to be here. You feel like a, a safe house. They use that term, you know, <laughs> some of the movies. This is a safe house. Yeah. I don't know, some bomb might, missile might come running through here at any moment. But it's safe because it's God's people coming together to praise Him. I can't think of a safer thing to do than be praising God. Uh, you know, when, when we're on our knees, when we're in God's Word, I can't think of a better place that we can be. And even despite that, we're, we're still tainted by sin. And our minds can wander off and everything and try to come back. You know, Even when you're in prayer by yourself, does your mind ever wander? Even when you're at your best, when you're in prayer with God and humbled, sometimes, oh, why did I start thinking that? It's like I just started ignoring God. I'm just telling you that because if that's ever happened to you, you don't feel alone. <laughs> it happens. It happens a lot to me. But you know what? He's a good God. And I feel bad because I just turned my attention to somewhere else. And Oh, yeah. Sorry, Lord. But you know what? Those ones who walk in the flesh, and they do it all the time, that is their character, that is their nature, they don't have any capacity to sow to the Spirit. They cannot do it. They, they have to be made willing But yet at the same time, we cry out. We give the Gospel. And God can use that to change some of those people's thinking. And so therefore, they are to respond to that message that we give. And they can get out of that field that they're sowing in. And usually, it's showing. If they're into some kind of drugs, I can guarantee you somewhere along the line, they hate it. And they want to get out of it. Almost always. I mean, yeah, some of them love it and just keep you know, and they go to, they they die. And I think of some of the ones in rock music in the '60s, the '70s, and Jim Morrison of the Doors. Boy, is having the time of his life, and their group was at the very top, couldn't have been any higher. And boy, I mean, they were they were it, you know, just. And all of a sudden, his life is gone. Was he twenty-seven? Twenty-seven. How many other? Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. You go on and on. And they they reap what they sowed. And it wasn't really a very long time for them doing that. It didn't take long. That's not abundant life. Yeah, they were at the top of their game. And they were at the lowest they could possibly be. It's a shame, isn't it? It's what they were sowing, what they reaped. Well, there's a fulfillment to all this, as it says in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And there's somebody that's fallen. Somebody that is really tuckered out. They dropped. They're weary. Gassed. Exhausted. Right? To plop down. Boom. You know what? In the Christian life, we can be there. 
we can say, you know what, I'm get, I'm getting I'm getting tired, and I'm not seeing any results. I don't see any results, Lord, and I just I, that's it. I quit. Boom. Well, John Brown said this. Glad you're in here, Zach. <laughs> that's one of his favorite authors. You ever get a chance to read some John Brown? Go on the internet. You can read there for free. It's great, and it's legal. <laughs> John Brown, the great. I think look under Puritans, what have you. But um, he said this: Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. Did you get that? See why you like John Brown? He says something so pointed, and it's like, hmm, that's, that'll make you think. Children want something to happen immediately. Boom, boom, like that. That's what they. That's what they. Are. I mean, they they don't they don't know patience, you know, <laughs> and so therefore it should happen now. Why why not now, Daddy? <laughs> and the thing is, this is a long haul. This is a marathon. Some are saying, well, I'm getting tired of sowing. I haven't seen the harvest yet. Verse 9 is for you. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap. Oh, I'd like to see results. Hey, I'm right there, man. I'm I'm with you. I'm probably even even more so. I, I want to see something. Christians always want that. Sometimes they just make up things <laughs> to make it look. <laughs> but the reality of it is, yeah, there are things that happen immediately. But you ever seen in, in most of life, you know, that it takes a while. And it's probably good. What if we got we just asked God in prayer, just believing in a boom, 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 there it is, drops it right on the front step. Oh, well, that's great. And you start praying for everything, you, and all of a sudden it's like candy. <laughs> and so we'd be praying for the things that we think is really good for us. And God looks, and He's like a parent, and He knows if they get what that's going to decay them. That's going to rot their teeth out. You know, the parents are, are like that sometimes. Well, and they'll be malnutritioned. God gives us exactly what we need at the very point in time. When we need it, what we need. He gives the manna. But the manna starts getting tiring after a while. Oh, even though it's from heaven, right? But that manna sustains us and He knows exactly that is it. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord, for supplying abundantly what I need. Oh, some can feel so tired, so fatigued. Don't grow weary. Isn't that encouragement? Paul is really encouraged. Don't lose heart, brothers, sisters. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep plowing. You may not even see it in this life. He says, I've been praying for somebody for 40 years now. And you know what? Nada! <laughs> it's okay. Keep praying. Keep praying. God will bring His will out whenever it needs to be done. But keep praying what you know to be praying for. 
people. Situations, whatever. But don't grow weary. And he's exhorting the Galatians just like hard-working farmers keep sustaining your labor because there will be harvest. And we know, we, we see that. They get the harvest at the end. Unless it's one of those years <laughs> where you don't get the rain. Or, early, you get too much rain. <laughs> it's a battle. It's a struggle out in the fields. God knows what He's doing. There's an eschatological harvest. There is a life that eventually comes. Look in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. I don't see anything. I don't feel it. Just keep doing it. You do what's right. Just keep doing it. Second Timothy, did I say two six? Is that what it said? The hard working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. He's the one that is to get that. He's worked for it and he will get his harvest. Sometimes abundant harvest and sometimes about what he expected and sometimes not very good. But there is a harvest, right? Don't slacken the exertion. I like 1 Corinthians 15.50. You want to be encouraged? Sometimes it's a hard, hard work out there in the fields. The spiritual fields, right? First Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Look at verse 58 right at the end of that resurrection chapter. After he's talked about victory in Jesus Christ, who defeated death and sin, Hades, hell, everything he defeated. Defeated Satan. Defeated death. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And here we go. We, we need to hear this. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So I want to see the harvest. The harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. What did the old preacher say? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. <laughs> song says that too. <laughs> That's right. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. There will be that harvest. There will be a day. That's right. We were saying about that this morning. Don't forget about that. To fulfill the plans He has for us, He gives us work to do. Back to Galatians as we get ready to wind this down here. We will reap if we do not grow weary. Don't lose heart. And doing good. Uh, just think of the fruit of the Spirit there, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Yeah, there, you have your kindness towards people and every time. Um, that, that's the Christian life. Okay? You will reap in due time. Right? God has a season. What's the due season? It's God's time. You'll reap if you don't think. If you give up, you're not going to reap it. It's all about reward here. God is going to reward us. This is not for nothing. Two negatives there, but if you understand this. But there's, a, there's a full harvest at the proper time in God's timing. Keep doing it. This is God's appointment at the conclusion of the age. 
But for the time being, we continue to throw out the seeds. We wait. And we wait. And we wait. Don't grow weary, he says in verse 9 and 10. So then while we have opportunity, right? we don't want to be exhausted. Don't get tired. Paul said, don't get tired. He used his self as an illustration. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, he said, I carry this truth around. We have trouble on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You know what was happening in this life. And we apply the principle in verse 10. Then, while we have opportunity. This just wraps it up. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And especially those who are the household of the faith. Here it's applied. The opportunity is kairos. Dealing with time, but it's not. We're not thinking of a watch time or measuring it here by. It's a fixed, distinct period of time. It's that kind of word there. Opportunity, as you have your word there, maybe. Let us have the opportunity. That's a, probably a very good translation. This is my own. This is the opportunity that has been given for me to do good. Make the opportunity. To do good. God gives that. It's this time that we're living in. That's our opportunity. Buy up the time, it says in Ephesians 5. Right? Buy up. It's an opportunity. While we have while we're here, do good to all people. Matter of fact, there's a definite article there and it means the good. Do the good to all people. Not just a general good, but the good that he's already talked about. What is that? Well, how about restoring a sinning brother? We looked at that last week, right? All right. How about the fruit of the Spirit? How about the good in the whole context of this book and where we've been right here that God is giving through the Spirit? And He says it unto all men. Now, in this case, that's to the unsaved. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't know what they say about me. You don't know what they do. But do good. All people, you have an opportunity to show Christ how Christ did it. Christ did it to the ones who didn't deserve it, right? That's what we are to do. And we're, by the way, the word there is dealing with working at it. Let us do good to all people. Um, and that's bringing in air gods in mind to work effectively, doing. As in the other verse, it's a moral, it's a spiritual excellence. The word there for good is agathos. A spiritual excellence, a moral excellence, going rising way above what the regular person would do. And he says, do it, do it to, to any of those. Even the, you know, we are to love our what? Enemies. So you can do it with the fruit of the Spirit. Do good to all people. And especially... And you go over and beyond even that to the household of faith. That's God's people. We have, we have the Father. Father has His family. Um, Abba, Father. There we go. Abba. That intimate term. Father just has a love for His people. 
Yes, he loves the people that are not his, but he has a different kind of love for the ones who are his. Just like in our family, our immediate family, we have a love for them like we love our neighbor next door, but we don't have the same kind of love for them, even though we are to love them, but we have a special love for our household. Ephesians 2.19, and and, uh, we, we have to finish here. Okay? Ephesians 2.19 So then you no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We live in God's house. The Father's family. You're part of it. We're equal in how He loves us all. Well, I think the call is pretty clear, isn't it? The call. There's a law. It's God's law. If you violate it, you suffer the consequence, right? Do we see that? It's this spiritual, moral law. And if you sow to the flesh, then what? You're going to reap a corrupted Christian life. If you're a Christian, you're going to have a corrupted Christian life. It's not going to look so good. Where people lose their joy, that very quality aspect of their eternal life. The ones who are not believers... They show their lives and they will have death eternal. Continue. How do we sow to the Spirit? And we've already looked at that. You, good, you do good to everybody. And remember, God will not be mocked. What you sow, what you reap, see those principles? They're very simple. But they are very profound. And we as Christians do have a choice to make. Therefore, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That abundant life. Well, that gets us through our text today. What a law God gives us and how we can do it through His strength. Don't get tired, brothers and sisters. Keep going. Finish well. Paul said, I finished the race. This course that God set finished. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this precious day. Thank You for the beautiful glimpse of the the weather kind of representing what the kingdom will be like one day when we'll have perfect weather and a perfect environment, glorified perfect bodies. And the, of course, You are always perfect and You never change. You're always there. But keep changing us. Keep renewing our minds so that we'll think the things of God and sow the seed in the spiritual field. In your Son's name, we honor. Amen.